The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Up, up, and away we go. It's Tuesday edition of Fantasy NBA. Today is something of a regular style lightning round. Here's the rule. I will never miss a weekday for you guys. If you followed this podcast for a while, you know I take a hell of a lot of pride in something of a de facto Iron Man type of run. However, there are going to be days where time is a little bit shorter, so we're going to just dive straight in and move through and really focus on the important things. And at the end, you're going to be like, oh, Dan didn't talk about X, Y, and Z. And it's going to be because Dan doesn't think it's that important. You know, on a lot of shows, I'll say, hey, I, I don't think this is important. This will be the show where we may skip that just a little bit. Thanks so, uh, for tuning in, obviously. Thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us here on your lovely Tuesday. Let's just dive straight into the massive Monday recap card. We'll do some promo stuff in the middle of the podcast. I'll catch you by surprise with it when you least expect the promo. Because if you thought it was coming now, you'd be wrong. Boston beat Cleveland 98-92. That was our free play I gave out over at Hoopball Gaming. So hopefully you guys follow that and then got my free play and then got the winner. I just couldn't imagine. I know this is a silly thing to bet on, but sometimes it does come down to uh, a note as simple as two teams relatively evenly matched. Celtics seemingly a little bit better. Just not going to lose two in a row to the same team. It doesn't happen that often. Anyway, uh, Jason Tatum looked good, 23-8-5. Still can't shoot to save his damn life, but he did make all seven of his foul shots, which, given the way this season's gone, that by itself was a step in the right direction. Raised his free throw percentage from about 75 to 77. He's got a long way to go. He climbed about two-thirds of a round. I think he moved up about seven, eight slots with this one pretty good ball game. But it's a start. Al Horford looking good again. Marcus Smart actually a little bit better in this ballgame on the offensive side. And then Dennis Schroeder slowed down a little bit, but he's fine while Jalen Brown is out. On the Cavs side, if you had Jetty Osmond going for the big one, congratulations, because I most certainly did not. Ricky Rubio, safe start uh, while Colin Sexton is out. No Jared Allen. He, uh, non-COVID illness, missed this ballgame, so they shifted everybody up a peg. Evan Mobley started at center and ran into a... Well, briefly, it was Time Lord, and then Al Horford shifted up, and he took center the rest of the way, which, by the way, that's fantastic for Big Al when he gets to play the five. Uh, and Mobley had a tough one. He'll, he'll be fine, though. I don't think anybody's worried about him. Dean Wade slid in at power forward and went a robust 0 for 4 with eight rebounds in 35 minutes. That is a rough performance, and it's why you're not really moving on anyone, even when they have multiple bodies out. Isaac Okoro was the closest previous non-factor to becoming a one-night factor but no you don't care usage too low the other stuff isn't good enough to to take care of that issue and so we shuffle along sacramento after a report came out that luke walton was on the hot seat they went buck wild beat up on detroit and they're not going to be the only team to do it but still this is a team that had lost oklahoma city showed a little gumption here a bounce back effort 
Rashawn Holmes, solid. Harrison Barnes, fine, if unspectacular. Again, this was blowout stuff, so nobody had to play that many minutes. But Tyrese Halliburton, for some reason, logged 35 and had 17 points, two boards, 10 assists, two steals, a block, and three three-pointers. If not for the five turnovers, that would have been one of your lines of the night. There are enough people playing where it's going to be tough to get into that neighborhood. By the way, he's up to number 36 now in 9-cat after this decent ball game. Uh, Darren Fox, a couple of decent ball games in a row. I mean, here's the thing. This is the hold two thoughts in our head scenario. I'm not that high on Darren Fox, but he's never going to be a top 200 fantasy player given his skills and the fact that he's a starting point guard for an NBA team who's basically in charge of said team, or at least among the top two or at very worst three options. Uh, so there was that weird kind of buy low even if we thought he wasn't going to get as high as everybody else, the question was, was there going to be any any uh, buffer between what you pay and what you're expecting? And now it's probably going to take more than I think I'd want to. Cade Cunningham looked good on the Detroit side. Although, again, Sadiq Bey was kind of the only piston to do any damage before garbage time. That's a nice sign. Figured he was just going to keep getting better as the point guard play around him got better. Said that on yesterday's podcast. Isaiah Stewart has no choice but to be useful. No defensive stats, but 15 rebounds, and he's fine as well. Jeremy Grant had an off night. He'll be okay after that. New Orleans blew a lead late. Have you heard that one before? Brandon Ingram, 31. Josh Hart, double-double. This time it was rebounds, not assists, but he couldn't shoot the ball, or maybe they might have won this ball game, which you could say about, about half the team, I guess. Hart is all systems go. Valanchunas, not surprisingly, will slow down a little bit. He's still number 11, but games like like this one, which are good but not great, it doesn't pull him down the board quickly, but it will slowly. And we here at Fantasy NBA Today, we always had him more in the kind of 30s to even early 40s range. It seems like maybe he'll be better than that given Zion has no real timetable yet. Um, but he's going to slide back from first round. I think you're, you're probably looking at someone in the, in the mid to late 20s without Zion. So still... Thing is, and I've said this before too, with JV, people are not going to believe what they're seeing, so you're probably better off just riding it out. Denny Avdia had a double double off the bench, don't care. KCP had four threes in an efficient game, I don't really care. Daniel Gafford, 24 minutes, six and five with three blocks. The only thing he didn't do was hit four, more than 50% of his shots. He was legitimately one made bucket away from being exactly the guy you were drafting, a 24-minute field goal percent blockmeister center who sometimes has good rebounding games but actually is on a team now, the Wizards, that are pretty good at gang rebounding. And I've got people asking me in our premium Discord if they should be dropping Daniel Gafford. I was like, no, absolutely not. If this guy's getting mid-20s minutes, he's golden, man. That's all he needs. Count your blocks. Count your field goal percent and just walk it to the bank. Bradley Beal expected back for their next ball game, so that'll take a little bit of the sting out of the Spencer Dinwiddie fastball, but he's been more than good enough with, with or without Beal on the floor. Hawks continue to play really well at home. The Sixers of this year. Clint Capella, easily his best game of the season. 20 points, 16 rebounds, 5 defensive stats on 8 out of 9 shooting, and that moved Capella almost 20 slots up the rank board in one ball game, and that's what it can do. When you have a big game and you're ranked back near 100, I think on yesterday's show I called him a buy low. That might be hard to pull off now. 
And then the other, the four guys on the Orlando side that I mentioned you could probably just keep rolling out there, Cole Anthony, Wendell Carter Jr., Mo Bamba, Franz Wagner, those guys all did fine. Gallo showed up briefly for the Hawks, but I don't care. Bogdan played better for the Hawks. I do care about that. That's a good sign. Hopefully he can keep that thing rolling. And then Trey Young actually got help. And this is more what I think they'd prefer from him. Don't do everything yourself. I had a lot of should I pick up Kevin Herter questions given DeAndre Hunter's out for a little bit now, and my answer is a resounding no. He is a streamer-level guy and then hurt his hamstring in this game anyway, but it wasn't going to matter. When Herter had his value, it was when he was basically like the second guard behind Trey Young, and there's still a Cam Reddish around and Bogdan's around and Gallo. I know he's a big man, but he plays a little bit like a guard. So no, not interested. Knicks and Pacers had themselves a fun one, huh? 92-84. Gross. TJ McConnell lost his touch in this one. Still got 23 minutes, which, by the way, if he was playing better, I think it would have been more like 24 or 25, so I'm not punting on McConnell. He played well in the previous one with the whole team healthy. Just didn't have a good ball game here. Team couldn't make shots. Pacers had a grand total of 16 assists in the entire ball game. That's not going to do it, man. Think about the fact the Hawks had 32 and Orlando had 30 in the other game. They doubled them up. 32. So yeah, if your team isn't making shots and you're the point guard, you're going to struggle a little bit if you're not a big offensive option. Like Brogdon, he's able to go get his own bucket from time to time. Karis LeVert, he's fine. Demonis Sabonis is fine. Miles Turner had an off game, but he'll be fine also. Justin Holiday actually got uh, another 31-minute effort, but just uh, not enough for him to do. The real news, I think, in this ballgame, besides the McConnell hold is that Mitchell Robinson left with a sore ankle just after halftime, which is a damn shame because he had three blocks at that point. And I don't even care that he only had two points and two rebounds. If he picked up another two or three blocks in the second half, that would have been a hell of a ball game. Instead, we're staring down the barrel of a Taj Gibson short stream. Uh, maybe Nerland's Noel shows back up again. Knicks went to their reserves heavily once again in this ballgame. You could see the, the minute split was kind of goofy. Kemba Walker was actually one of the starters to play well, but he didn't get full starters minutes. So Tibbs just screwing around with guys right now. And Kemba's a tough hold. I'll admit it. Roto games cap, I think I roll him out there when he's warm. But head-to-head, I'm actually... And I mean, you never should have drafted him in head-to-head because you knew the rest days were going to be built in. And you just... With a guy who's not as skilled as a Kawhi Leonard, drafting a rest guy in head-to-head is, is a recipe for disaster. And frankly, even a guy like Kawhi, it's, a, it's troublesome. He's so good when he's in there... But what if the rest day just comes at the wrong time? Not that you can't game it out a little bit. Miami sat everybody because they knew they could beat the Thunder anyway, and they did. Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Kyle Lowry. These are your streamer types. When Noah Adebayo, Dwayne Dedman is a wonderful short stream. The the Bam knee thing is going to be seemingly a little bit annoying this year. Hopefully he can work his way through it, but we might be looking at off days and that blows up a bit of our bam strategy which was get the guy who's going to play 78 ball games uh he's already missed two thunder are a little bit annoying from a fantasy standpoint shea was bad in this one josh giddy was a little bit better and he'll slowly get better over the course of the year lou dort had 20 points again relatively efficiently too mind you Jeremiah Robinson Earl got the start at center. So that happened. 
Something to keep an eye on, I suppose. Isaiah Roby was there. He just only played 11 minutes. And then, of course, Derek Favors is a who cares. Darius Baisley had five blocks. That floated his value in a game that was otherwise a pretty typical Darius Baisley game. Bad field goal percent. Missed a free throw. But atoned for it. Dallas beat Denver. That was our other top play. Dallas minus five. They covered. Kristaps Porzingis has found his groove now. 29-11. Two steals a block, five three-pointers on solid percentages. He's another guy that was down the board a little bit. And you guys aren't even going to believe, like, this is, this blows me away. With two big ball games, that's really all it took here for Persingas. Two big games, you guys know where he's ranked now? In nine cat? 28th. He's not even blocking shots yet. He's only a one and a half so far this year. 28th for KP. And this is the thing with him. You know you're going to get those missed games. But damn it, when he plays, he's unreal. Jalen Brunson was good. 17 points, 6 assists, a steal, good field goal percent, didn't take a free throw, did make one three-pointer. That's notable. So keep trotting him out there. And then uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. was a little better in this one. He's a tough guy to trust, though. I know he's always going to kind of hang right on the edge, which kind of makes him more streamer type for me. And then speaking of streamers, uh, on that Denver side, a guy that was streamer level, but when Will Barton went down, moved above it, is Monty Morris. And we don't know how long Will Barton's going to be out. Doesn't sound that serious, but if you find out in any kind of advance notice that Barton's going to miss another ball game, Morris needs to be a go. Man, is Houston bad. That was kind of a rant on yesterday's podcast. Do we bother with anyone on the Houston Rockets? Kevin Porter suffered a thigh contusion. Had to leave this ballgame partway through. He was well on his way to saving his line with a few defensive stats, but otherwise, one for two at the foul line, two for 11 from the field. The grossness continues. Christian Wood was bad. Jalen Green had 15 points and nothing else. Daniel Tice was 10 and 5. He actually was probably having one of the less disgusting games, but then turned it over five times. And Jay Sean Tate, who was easily the guy on his way to the most useful line, maybe the only one on the team, only got to play 25 minutes because they were losing by 35 points. This is a rough team, man. I Like, you can't drop Christian Wood, but you could pretty much drop the rest of them. And no one's dropping Alpern Sengun, who played 18 minutes and had 9-5 and 1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1 pretty much across the board and then missed a bunch of shots. And that's the story there. So... Even the upside for Shengun is capped a little bit as long as he's actually taking shots. That's a bit problematic. He gets fouled regularly. Oh, what a gross thing. So this was an easy one for Memphis. A lot of guys had good lines on the Grizzlies' side in limited action. John Morant was good again. JJJ was excellent. 18-7, and seven, two steals, two blocks, two threes. You want to be a 1-1-1 guy? How about a 2-2-2? Brandon Clark was good off the bench. Who cares? Kyle Anderson was good off the bench. Who cares? Dylan Brooks was fine as a starter. Desmond Bain was fine as a starter. DeAnthony Melton got 17 minutes, and he was actually not horrible in this game. I would still advise buying a little bit more time because they went deep into the bench for this one. Deep into the bench. Jared Culver even got five minutes. Grizzlies played everybody. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. All fifteen. Empty it, man. Phoenix, big come-from-behind win in Minnesota. This one, I'm a little upset with myself. I, I was very, very close to uh, playing the Timberwolves at like a plus three and a half, plus four. 
I think there were lines as low as three if you were going to go to the Phoenix side. This is a tough back-to-back for the Suns. They were in Texas yesterday, I believe. Uh, luckily, they had a, a crap-dink team to play against, so they didn't have to go too hard. But then the flight from Texas to Minnesota is not ultra short. Regardless, they had enough in the tank. Despite shooting 38%, Minnesota shot only 37%. Chris Paul, another brilliant ball game. That story, that beat just rolls on. He remains number six in nine cat leagues. It's a remarkable thing. His steals per game dropped precipitously because he only had one in this ballgame. But he did make all seven free throws, so that went up from 83 to 85 and a half. DeAndre Ayton came back, so the JaVale McGee experience is over, and the Frank Kaminsky experience is way over. Devin Booker, a couple good ball games in a row. Malik Beasley had 12 and 8. I can't trust him. Patrick Beverly had 10, 7, and 1. I still can't really trust him either. So, Cat, D'Lo, and the Ant-Man. Not a tough night himself, actually. We heard word out of the Blazers camp. I guess that was late on... Was that late on Sunday night or late on Monday night? Forget when we got word. I think it was late... Yeah, because Monday night would have been yesterday. So it must have been late, late, late on Sunday night. I forgot to make mention of it on the podcast yesterday, so my apologies on that one. But Chauncey Billups was talking about how if someone wasn't bringing effort, they weren't going to get their minutes guaranteed. And, you know, we saw it in the first half. Yusuf Nurkic only played 13 minutes. Not that he's exactly been racking up minutes anyway. He's only averaging about 25 a ball game. So I guess 13 is, is pretty close to where he's been at. There wasn't a massive seismic shift in who was getting minutes. I think the story becomes Chauncey trying to light a fire under his guys by basically saying, look, you guys are the starters, and you have been. And it's not entirely clear who he was talking about because Dame didn't play in yesterday in yesterday's game, or sorry, two days ago. <laughs> Get my days right here, but he did play in this one. And there was just this this feeling in Denver that a lot of guys weren't trying hard. And so to just kind of recap the story a little bit, Chauncey came out in his post game and he was like, "Look." You know, sometimes we're going to get beat. Sometimes we're going to not have a great game. You know, we'll, we'll not execute all that great, little things like that. But I, he just said, I refuse to get beat with a complete lack of effort. So he called out his guys. He told them, look, your minutes are not safe. And what we did, me, I shouldn't say we, what I did was I probably jumped to a conclusion, which is, is he really going to move bodies around? Is he, is he going to change it up? Is it going to be a different crop of guys? When in actuality, what probably was happening here was Chachi just saying, look, wake the hell up. I don't want to have to switch this around. You know, you're my main guys. You're my five starters. Norm, CJ, Dame, Rocco, Nurk. But if you guys don't start playing hard, and it wasn't clear exactly who he was isolating from that bunch, if you guys don't start playing hard, I will give your minutes to someone else. And they played better. They played harder in this ball game, And so the main guys were the guys logging minutes. And Dame actually looked okay. So, you know, I, from a... He, he hasn't really gone mega Dame at any point yet. There hasn't been a Dame time. 
that we've all been able to see highlights of on Twitter. But he did look better, admittedly, against a Toronto defense that's not very good. But he played better. Rocco looked better. CJ was about as aggressive as he's been since the first two or three games of the year. It kind of felt like the Blazers slipped into a dog days mentality way earlier than some of the teams they were going against. Whatever that's worth. Uh, Over on that Toronto side, big men were just out. No precious Achua dealing with a shoulder thing. Chris Boucher has a sore back. So Pascal Siakam slid up and played some center, which was going to happen anyway. Kem Birch is back, but kind of doesn't really matter. All to say that they're just they're kind of down to one and a half centers at this point. Uh, but the usual characters were the usual characters. You know, from a like what did we learn standpoint in this ball game? I think what we learned was that Portland doesn't really want to have to make the minutes adjustments or rotation adjustments. And on the Toronto side, we kind of know what they are at this point. Nice to see OG get aggressive for a ball game. He's been bouncing back and forth a little bit. It was part of my fear with Ananobi was that he was going to have some getting used to in the slightly larger role he's assumed. And his field goal percent has been, this game was better, but pretty bad overall. A lot of good things, certainly, but hanging around in the 40s. Hanging around in the 40s, which was kind of, how much time do we spend during draft season with me asking uh, 15 different pros the same question? How early is too early? And everybody had kind of a different answer, which was cool. It was It's part of what makes this fantasy stuff so damn interesting is that there isn't consensus on a lot of stuff. And my beef with this whole thing was I loved Ananobi's season coming up. It seemed like this was going to be the, the amazing year. But the fact that I wasn't the only one to think it meant that his price got a little bit high. Now, The one thing we can say about OG so far is he's been inconsistent. Big games followed by brutal shooting games, a big steals game, a zero steal. Like, he's been all over the map so far this year. At some point, you've got to figure he'll settle in to where he's not, his lines aren't bouncing around like that. And when he does, I I don't really know exactly what it's going to be. My guess is that he's probably going to be within a round of where he's at right now. I don't think he's all that far away from his... His true north. And the late game out in Los Angeles. We will break down after I do some actual welcoming to the show. I mean, we really just dove in and did 20 minutes of fantasy recap before I even told you what was going on here. First of all, thanks again for listening, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I'm your host, Dan Vespers. And I continue to look for you guys to hit me up. Hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Vespers, particularly... If you'd like to be the new host, or throw your hat in the ring, to be the new host of our sports betting podcast. It's, a, it's really an amazing gig. Uh, also, here's a fun one. I don't know if any of you guys out there in Fantasy NBA Today land are big fantasy baseball guys. But if you think you are, send a note my way. I may have something you might enjoy working on. Again, that's at Dan Vespers, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or just Google Dan from Hoopball. And while we're doing promo, a reminder that all of our podcasts are brought to you by our buddies at mybookie.ag. I hope you followed my plays yesterday so you could take some of my bookie AG's money. Had the Mavericks, had the Celtics, both covered. It's been a weird... This is not the MyBookie promo anymore. Don't worry, I'll get back into that. It's been a strange year for me because... 
I've really tried hard this season to only play my favorites. And so as of today, that's a grand total of six in-season plays. I had a few freebies I threw out there earlier this year that I called small ones, so those are not on that board. Those are like the quarter unit plays just to get something going. It was my turn in the rotation to get the freebie out. Yesterday's one I actually liked a lot. That Celtics, that Celtics freebie was a good one. Uh, and they're 5-1, and one, which there's this weighted average thing going on. 5-1 and one is delightful. You're up 3.9 units at one unit apiece. You could be up way more than that by hitting at a lower clip and just doing a lot of it. Like, you could be, you know, 20 and 15, and you're up almost the exact same number of units. You could be 20 and 14, and I think you actually are up more units at a much lower hit rate. I just, I want to do the ones that I feel hyper-confident about this year. That's always been my, my move. And last year, I think I overdid it. We, I wanted to have too much going on. I spent all this time handicapping each day. And so there was this, this part of me that was like, no, I have to get something out there. I put all this time into it. There needs to be some sort of handicapping result. But the, the truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter how much time you put into handicapping. You make the play if you're confident in the play, if you really like it. And that's only been six so far this whole season in four weeks for me. Yeah, I know. That's super-duper low. Now, there, there are a couple times where I might have had something... If I had more time to really dive in, there's probably five, six days where that's happened. But in general, call it three weeks about of real handicapping and six plays. This is the old school method, man. This is what I used to do back in the day. So anyway, uh, if you'd like to win with our guys over at Hoopball Gaming, which is a Twitter handle you should be following anyway, get a wager pass, but also join mybookie.ag. I bet you they're going to have another uh, Thursday night football odds boost coming up that we'll know about by Wednesday. We'll talk about that on the Wednesday show or maybe the Thursday show. And again, we just keep taking their free money. When you sign up, use promo code HOOPBALL, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L. It's on that third page of sign up. And that'll make sure that they know who sent you to go take their damn money. It was me. It was us. It was HOOPBALL. Uh, shout out as well to Manscaped.com. Promo code there is HOOPBALL20 for 20% off and free shipping on your order. And as promised, and honestly, I don't even know if you guys care that much about the last one on the docket, the Bulls beat the Lakers fairly senseless. Chicago clobbering a couple of LA teams actually over the last few days. Lonzo Ball, call it a revenge game if you want. I don't know that he cares. Like he's he's in a much better place now. Huge one for Lonzo. DeMar DeRozan's been unbelievable so far. 38-3 and 6. Wow. I mean, I, I thought, I think we all kind of thought that DeMar would slide back a little bit from his, like, 40 range that he was at in San Antonio. I don't think anybody in their right mind saw him leaping up to basically the front end of the second round right now. It is worth pointing out, however, that Vooch is out. So, yes, there's more happening there. And he was playing well even before that. Um the free throws have stayed high for DeMar, which actually has given him a ton of bonus value in that department because there just aren't that many guys taking and making a bunch of free throws right now. Steph has become this runaway monster in that category. And it's really because nobody else is getting free throws, it elevates the remaining people who do and make them. And you could say that about our buddy Jimmy Butler also. 
high volume, good foul shooter. But a lot of the guys, uh, you know, like use James Harden as an example. He's look, he's been fine. He's number 17 now. So he's moved up the board quite a bit since we were picking on him. His five and change free throws is now only kind of a good number where DeMar and Steph and even Butler and I, I can actually Paul George is in there as well because he's been up around 90%. These guys are difference makers. Trey Young has been kind of a difference maker there. So it's weird. Like the fact that that category has become so much harder year over year, the guys that are actually maintaining get a bonus bump. But that's not been the only thing. He's been, we're talking about DeMar DeRozan now. He, he's just been exceptional, exceptional in almost every respect. And as I look, I want to try to dig a little bit more into kind of how DeMar got to this point or, or what it is that he's done. Is there something different going on? And the answer is no, not really. He's always been a good free throw shooter at a pretty high volume. His assists are actually down this season because he's on a team where there are a bunch of other primary scorers and ball handlers. The big change year over year is, believe it or not, his usage is actually higher in Chicago this year than it has been since 2016 in Toronto. And you can go all the way back to that season. His numbers actually right now are better because he's improved from the field. He shot 47% that year with the Raptors. He's at 51% now, which, by the way, 51% is actually fairly sustainable for him because he just doesn't take any shots he doesn't like. That mid-range stuff is easy. He was 50% last year. He was 53 the year before that. He's moved up into the 50% threshold. His steals are kind of where they ought to be. They might even be a little bit low right now. Blocks are basically where they've always been. Rebounds are pretty much where they've always been. Maybe a hair higher. Assists being down has been outweighed by the fact that he's taking four more shots this year than he did last season in San Antonio. And I can't really, I can't really put my finger on exactly how we got to this point other than to say if the usage holds, which, yeah, I mean, look, like there's, there's a very real chance that it doesn't. But if the usage holds, he really could be a second or even like third. You could probably dial him back a little bit, a third round guy. Let's say that the shots come down from 19 to, I don't know, 17, 17 and a half, something like that. He really could be this guy. So to that end, I still think he's a sell high. But the beauty of him continuing to put up these ridiculous lines and actually moving up the board as opposed to down is solidifying his value as someone, if you're trading DeRozan away, you should not take anything less than a bona fide top 35 guy right now. And if you're not going to get that, then just play him. That's the simple solution to this problem. If you're not going to get back what you'd want, just play him. Because, yeah, I mean, he'll have some weeks where he's top 50, top 70, top 10, top 30. Like, that's how the season bounces around for a lot of these guys. But speaking at just exclusively of DeRozan right now, and, yeah, I mean, you could make this argument in a number of instances. The buy low, sell high stuff is all about the perception of that you have of the player and of the team you're trading him to. If the team you're trading him to doesn't value him as high as you do currently, then there's no point in selling. And I want to talk just briefly about the Lakers, but then I want to come back to that point because we do have a little bit of extra time on this show. It's, like I said, I was kind of sprinting a tad. 
Uh, on the Lakers side, Taylor Horton Tucker has been fully unleashed here with Anthony Davis getting, getting ejected in the third quarter. Russ obviously wanting to do a lot of orchestrating. So just roll THT out there. Uh, also worth noting, by the way, Lakers are hoping to get LeBron back on Friday. So that will put a fat dent into whatever Horton Tucker is doing. But again, I mean, this Laker team is severely hampered. They brought in a bunch of guys that they thought could kind of hang out around their three superstars, and most of those guys got hurt. Kendrick Nunn, THT, Trevor Ariza. These were guys, which I know Ariza putting him in that mix seemed a little bit dumb, but these were the guys they wanted to be the scorers around their core, and the one that survived, that's not a kind term to use, but the one that's been healthy so far is Carmelo Anthony, and he's been great. That's kind of what the Lakers were envisioning. Get guys around Russ and LeBron and AD that can score. But instead, they've had to play way more Avery Bradley than they wanted to. And, like, I like Malik Monk as much as the next guy, but he's not in that same echelon of scorers with Melo and Kendrick Nunn. Nunn's going to be very important when he comes back. And I just keep saying the same thing. Just tell me what this Lakers team looks like on Christmas Day. If they haven't figured it out by Christmas Day, it's bad. Anytime between now and then, you're fine. And there's still a couple games over 500. So, like, they're, they're treading water, and LeBron's been out. They'll be fine. Every time they win, uh, the world rejoices. Every time they lose, the sky is falling. No, nothing, the, the rising tide of the NBA emotions that follow the Lakers is just insanity. But I do want to spend most of my time. By the way, you're, you're starting and you're playing Taylor Horton Tucker here in the short term. I think when LeBron comes back, you might be wise to sit him for a game just to see what his role looks like. But you're not going to dump him. And I'm so mad at myself because I had him on my radar to pick up first thing Sunday morning. And we just had all these things going on in my house because uh, that was the day we were doing a little family party for my kiddo. And I forgot. And I missed him in a league where I really needed his style of game, which is basically scoring. He's a scorer. He'll get you some steals and he'll score. That's the Taylor Horton Tucker way. He probably falls back into a more of a points league valuation once this team is healthy, which... That's fine. Let's just see how long it takes to get to that point. But I do, again, want to pivot back to what we were talking about with DeMar DeRozan. It's not just about him. It's about all buy low and sell high scenarios. And this is something that I think gets lost when people are trying to come up with trade offers. I see a lot of questions, some of them from very sharp fantasy players, people that have been following hoopball for a long time, some of my good buddies on the premium side in our Discord. Uh, you guys are awesome. You guys are winners. We're so thrilled to have you around, but some of the questions you ask, it, it sort of strikes me that this is something that I think even the really good fantasy players can't fully wrap their head around, which is, what is the point of a buy low and a sell high? The point is finding, and we've had this, this type of discussion before on just trades in general, so I want to break this into two quick little snippets. For trades in general... There's one way to make a trade, and that trade is, well, there's two ways, actually. There's two ways. Either you completely agree on the value of every player involved, or you completely disagree on the values of players involved, and that allows you to create that, that midpoint. The first half of that is really obvious. If you and I both think that player X is top 25, and you and I both think player Y is top 25, we can swap them if we need different categories, or whatever it might be. That's an easy trade to make. That's the ones that actually happen pretty often in fantasy leagues. People feel like 
they are both getting an okay deal because they generally value people the same. The other way to make a trade is to find a trade where you completely disagree with the person on the other end. It's the ones in the middle that never quite happen. Like, oh, I think this guy is close, but I'm going to... And then it falls apart. If I believe that one player is going to be top 25 and you believe he's more like top 45, while on your team, or flip it, whatever it is, I think that one guy is top 25 that you think is top 40, or vice versa, those exchanges can be made because we just see things differently. You know what I mean? Like, these guys might not be ranked the same, or maybe they are ranked the same, and it's both sides thinking they're winning. Okay, that's the way that trades work. Trade part, the way, number one, is if everybody feels like they're getting a fair deal, and trade way number two is if everybody feels they're winning. That is the buy low, sell high concept. Everyone needs to feel like they're winning. That's the point. If you're offering up a player, and we should just use an example from this season. If you're offering up Miles Bridges two weeks ago when he was number seven, you need to know what the other side, and I don't know how, you can't really just ask this question straight out because that creates a negotiating advantage, but you have to figure out what your trade partner sees in a particular player. And that's how you can decide whether or not it's worthwhile. And this is a really deep and complicated discussion. We can't get into all the nuances here because this is supposed to be a slightly shorter program. But if you could figure out how your opponent views a particular player on your own team and how they view a particular player on their team, that's how you can create your mismatch. But what's the point? And using real names right now would actually just make this thing more complicated. So player A is currently ranked number 10, but your opponent thinks they're going to fall back to number 40, whereas on their own team, they have someone who's currently ranked 50, but you think that player is going to work his way up to number 25. Okay, great. That seems like a potential match, but you need to know how they also value their own player. The way that this works the why for a buy low and a sell high match or for trading in general is you need to be creating either ROI that's one kind of trade like just a trade to make your team better in categories you need categorical trades is again probably the easier way to pull off and then just straight value grab that to me is the harder one because it's always going to feel weird while you're doing it but you got to trust in yourself more. So that would be something like we did, we talked about on yesterday's show, and I said, I think Marcus Smart, and I said, I think Clint Capella, these are guys that are by lows right now. But the other part of that discussion is, where do we think they're going? Why? Why should we do this? Well, with Marcus Smart, he was at like 120, but he couldn't shoot. How high did I think he was going to get? 90? 85? 80? Only 100? Clint Capella was at like 105. How high do we think he's going to get? 25 again? 35? 45? 55? You need to know what your target value is when you're working on these trades, which then gives you the opportunity to figure out 
what you're giving back. So let's take uh, let's take Marcus Smart because I think it was a narrower band with Capella. I feel like everybody knew and people took him in like the in the fourth round, so there, it was going to be harder to pry him away anyway. Marcus Smart, people were taking in the seventh, eighth, ninth round, probably not ninth, probably more seventh or eighth round. Sometimes as early as the sixth, but rarely. So he's a gettable asset who was, prior to his last really two games, not scoring at all, not even thinking about it. He had some goose eggs. They had a, more than one. I haven't looked at his game log here on this, for this podcast, but I think he had two games this year where he hasn't scored a point. But he's shooting 71% at the foul line, which is way down from last year. 35% from the field, which even for a bad shooter is down. But all the other stuff actually looks really, really good. Four boards, five assists, two and a half steals, half a block. So as I looked at Marcus Smart a couple games back and said, this guy's shooting like 34% and 70%. If I just adjust up a little bit on those numbers, he leaps from 125 to 100. And if there's anything beyond that, because presumably if he gets a little more confident, if things... If he takes more shots because things are looking better, then the upside carries him into, what, 75-80 range? Okay, so let's say we plant our flag on Marcus Smart should be able to work his way back to around number 80. And he was currently ranked at about 125. Now you had to figure out, what are you willing to part with? Well, technically, you should be willing to part with anything beyond 80. But it's not quite so simple because if the guy you're parting with, and and this is the thing, like you've already missed some number of games that Smart's put up this year, and you've already collected some number of games from the other guy. What you need is for the going forward, ROS, everybody talks about, rest of season number to be in favor of the guy you're getting. If you pick up Marcus Smart and then for two or three more weeks, he was still like chewing on a uh, nylabone at 125, just unable to really get going, where the guy you trade away rumbles along at top 75 for those three or four weeks, it it becomes much harder for the guy you picked up to make the flip back. So that, again, means you can't have too narrow of a gain there. Don't send someone away who's like, you have your flag planted at top 90. Yeah, you're probably gaining around in your long-term numbers, but... How accurate are our numbers, really? If we think Marcus Smart might get himself back to 80, I would call it basically a win if he ended up anywhere between 70 and 95. That means we got pretty close. So what you're really trying to do, I think this is maybe the way you should think about a lot of your buy low and sell highs, is try to split the difference. If someone's at 120, and this is easier when they're farther down the board, because when you get higher up, every spot becomes more significant, but basically, for guys, if you're trading guys that are beyond the top 50, try to split the difference between what their rank is and where you think they're headed. Let's say Marcus Mar was 120, just to ease, make the numbers easier, and you think he's getting to 80. The guy you should be willing to trade away is someone you have pinned at a rest of season 100. Split the difference. If you're looking at someone who's hovering in the 80 range and you think that they're going to be a 40 at the end of the year, you should be willing to part with somebody at around 60. And this is very much a ballpark thing, but that at least creates the wiggle room where if your trade is imperfect in any way, you might still hit value or at least not lose that potential trade. And 
it's usually a good enough player to entice the other team. You're not going to get Marcus Smart. If someone's at 125 you can't, and you think they're going to get better, you can't give away also a 125 guy. The other team doesn't want that dude. You have to give them something that seems in the moment to be better than the player that you're trying to trade for. And I don't know what the right answer was to that particular question. Maybe someone like a Devontae Graham, who's been doing some stuff, but is probably going to be stuck around 100 for most of the year, and maybe even trends down at some point. Um, there isn't always a, a super obvious answer to this question. Franz Wagner is in the mid-90s. He's done a, a few decent things. Uh, Scotty Barnes is number 90. He's got a lot of hype on his name, but I don't know how much better he could actually be to this point. I don't see the obvious areas for him to make a giant leap forward mid-season. And, but again, now you're starting to give up probably a little bit too much. And that's why it's also okay to just say, you know what, maybe this trade isn't going to work. Here's Jalen Brunson. Is that going to be good enough? No? All right, well, we'll move on. We'll try this again another time. Not every trade is meant to be. You can try a few different things. Maybe somebody wants Reggie Jackson for him. I'd rather have Marcus Smart. So anyway, that's the why. Why do we do the buy lows and the sell highs? And where is your starting point? Split the difference for anything beyond the top 50. Inside of that top 50, you got to go a little bit tighter. And it's, it's harder. Those are much, much harder because people have really strongly held beliefs on where guys are actually going to end up in that upper crust. And those trades to me are brutal because you're also changing the complexion of your team a lot. So you better be damn sure about it. I think you can pull those off easier in Roto where you don't lose the stats that your previous guy gave you, at least. Where head-to-head, it's like, oh, now I'm a team that blocks shots. Okay. All right. Enjoy your Tuesday. Back tomorrow, we will wrap up the short three-game card. I'll probably have a rant in the hopper for Wednesday. There's only three games to recap. I got to yell about something, don't I? This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I am Dan Bespris, your host, your gracious host. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Um, injury news, by the way. Go check that out. I'm not going to do the injury segment on today's show. There's a ton. Just follow at Hoop Ball Fantasy and uh, go back and check all that stuff out. A lot of actually fairly significant things. And I, I do it on the pod, but frankly, they've been out for a couple hours already. So just go check them out at Hoop Ball Fantasy. I will talk to you tomorrow. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.